Hey, my name is Kevin Clark. I'm the host of a new football podcast called Slow News Day. I want to tell you about it. On Mondays, Lindsey Jones and I will recap the weekend in football that was, as well as look ahead to what's next. On Wednesday, the normal Slow News Day, the thing you've been watching for years, current players, current coaches, current analysts talking about the football world. And on Friday... It's a wild card. Could be some college football, could be more pro stuff. It's a video podcast, so you can watch it on Spotify or listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on Spotify. It's Slow News Day. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube. Car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. Special edition because the Red Sox continue to disappoint everybody this offseason. Joining us is the boss, Bill Simmons, Prince Harry's biggest fan, and Boston superfan, Hench. What's going on, guys? Uh, well, if, before we start complaining, which we will we'll get a nice solid hour of, we, we do, to, to not sound like psychopaths, we do have to mention what a wagon the Boston Bruins are. Uh, it's unbelievable. Like, let's <laughs> yeah. at least acknowledge that part of our lives. <laughs> well, let's also acknowledge um, six Patriots titles, four Red Sox World Series, a Bruins title, and a Celtics title. We have 12 titles this century. All of us are delighted by it. And that's why we have higher expectations than maybe we did 20 years ago. It's funny because as it was happening, we knew it was too good to be true. I mean, we knew we knew this podcast was looming in our future, this this Red Sox Patriots misery. But uh, it's gotten worse faster than I think we ever could have imagined. Well, so Barrett, we had Hench and I, we did a podcast for my podcast maybe three, four years ago where we did the top 25 moments of the Belichick Brady era. And we knew as we were going in, we were like, we're probably angering the gods with this. But we had so many great Patriots moments. We were getting them confused. We were free. we were getting years mixed up. Like there were so many incredible great wins. Wrong we couldn't even Super Bowl idiots. <laughs> we How couldn't we even remember to keep our Super Bowl titles straight. There's so many of them. Yeah, and and wins and like regular season wins. And so even when we were doing that, we were like, man, the dinner check's gonna come soon. Yeah, we are the and worst. We are now it's worst. come with the Red Sox and the Pats. But but Brian, like you've been on high and bloom now for over a year. Even if you just take the Mookie Betts trade. And the Bogart story thing, you just take those two things. It's been a horrible four years for him. But then there's like, what, 15 other examples of him doing a bad job, right? Yeah, I mean, his whole tenure has basically been atrocious. Like, we got away from it a bit last week where they re-signed Devers, which is like, oh, finally, they decided, hey, one of our players is important. But I don't think it's coincidental. I'm not saying it's the whole reason, but John Henry's being booed in his own stadium as the Pittsburgh Penguins. His hockey team are in town playing where his baseball team plays. And then all of a sudden, two days later, we get the news that, oh, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to sign one of our best homegrown players, which it felt like to me, 
that was the only choice they had to make, right? I mean, if you let yeah. Raphael Devers go, you might as well fold the thing up. But it comes back to the story situation. So I'm sure everybody's heard by now that he's most likely going to miss the season. His 29-year-old season, his first year, six for 140, he was bad. I mean, he hit 238. He wasn't available all the time. He played in just 94 games. Well, he looked hurt. It, it yeah. was worse than bad. He The first month, Henshtar and a Red Sox started, and it was like, this guy looks like he's gritting through. He looked like Carlton Fist down the stretch in 1978, just like that glazed, I'm super injured kind of well, vibe to you know, him. And it was like, we just signed this guy. It, it, it's crazy. You know, uh, obviously, as you know, Simmons at Red Sox stats is my North Star. I just never go against him. And then <laughs> he was happy with the story signing. And I was like, whoa. This is the first fissure in the fortress that, uh, of at Red Sox stats because I was like, Simmons <laughs> and I are like, I don't think this is a good signing. Like, we're like, this seems nuts. And part of the thing that informed. Well, our- part of the reason we thought it was nuts was it seemed like his price was dropping because he was hurt and, and nobody and wanted to sign thing, him because like- everybody was like, that guy's hurt. Like, you know, part of being a GM, right? It's just like, you know, I mean, Simmons and I've played what if. Obviously, we co-own a rotisserie team. Like, the whole game is like, getting guys for less than they'll produce. Like, so you want bargains. You know, we we lose to a guy named Mike Mendelson every year because he would be a much better GM than, than, than Bloom. And so the fact that they missed the market by Xander, they misread it by over $100 million. Like, you're not good at your job. There's no way you're good at your job if you thought this number was going to get Xander. And then... You know, Simmons and I got burned. I don't even know how many years ago this was, but Corey Dickerson had a huge year in Coors Field, came to the Rays, and we overpaid for him in our road. This is our AO Keeper League. Yeah, we got all excited about him. You know, and Mike Mendelson's like, uh, going from Coors to planet Earth, bat, just watch out. So obviously, when you're signing a Rocky, you can only look at their road splits. That's who you're getting. You're not getting this other guy. And so if you look at Story's road numbers, he's coming off a 292 on base percentage on the road when we signed him to that deal. Like, that's terrible. Then if you look at the years before that, he never has an 800 OPS on the road, mostly mid-700s. And now you're speaking Barrett's language. I know. So that's who you're getting. Even if he's not hurt, you're getting the road version of that guy I didn't mean 191 strikeouts. Like the the strike zone is the part that doesn't change. Like <laughs> if you expand the strike zone, there you're gonna whiff in the playoffs when everyone bears down. So well, and then the eye test piece of it too is like not not that fun of a hang during the season, Trevor Story. Like just seemed like really really intense. Not that fun to watch. Whereas like Bogarts, we watched this guy grow up. I feel like I've known him since he was in the crib. And yeah. he loved being here. His teammates loved him. We've won a World Series with him. And it's like, what are we doing? Well, remember 2013, it was like, we're like, what is he wearing? Number 72? Is that, is that right? <laughs> yeah. Is yeah. That right. You know, it's like he's in the playoffs and you're like, oh my God, this guy is not overwhelmed at all by the moment. Like, we're like right away, we're like, this guy, you know, so obviously. Like Devers in 18, same thing. Incredible decade with that guy. And then. You know, a, a, just a spectacular gack. Uh, injury notwithstanding, it was bad uh, on the fan graphs page, like just looking at the numbers. Yeah. I mean, if you look at it, so last year he struck out 30.8% of the time, 233rd Ugh. out of 246 hitters, minimum Jesus 300. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And he hasn't hit right handed pitching in three years. He hits 257 against righties, strikes out nearly 27% of the time. And Bogarts actually hits really well against right-handed pitching. So I think a couple of things here. So first, well, the first of all, th- Brian, let me stop you. Do you think? I mean, in fairness to Bloom, do you think he has access to these numbers? I think he. <laughs> <laughs> I, hope, I think he does. But that's what's so confusing about me, right? He's supposed to come from the analytical world, and the bet that he made, I just don't understand it. So Bill mentions the arm thing. This was out there before the Red Sox signed him. Uh, the Hall of Famer Pete Gammons mentioned something about it, like prior to the Red Sox signing him. It was a big article in the Seattle Times because that was another team that was interested in him, wondering if the elbow could hold up. He's going to have to move over to second. And the arm strength numbers, like if you look at his baseball savant page. So two years ago, he was at 52nd out of 58 shortstops. And last Ooh. season, he was 66th out of 72nd baseman. So this problem was something that we all saw coming, right? Everybody knew well, not this. everybody... 
Right. Bloom did. <laughs> yeah, what, what person did? That page you just referenced is subscriber only, and yeah, and Bloom, <laughs> he doesn't Bloom, subscribe. Bloom got three views for free, <laughs> and then he never got to the arm strike. Well, so here's the thing that aggravates me about this. So the bet was that this, okay, so his 29 year old season, we can all agree he sucked. I mean, he was really bad, and he was injured. His 30 year old season, in all likelihood. He's going to miss pretty much all of it. I mean, I would guess he's going to miss all of it. If not, he's going to miss what? 85 to 70 or well, 75 They're, they're to already hedging on that, right? They were like yeah. four to six months. And then Bloom today was like, well, yeah, we hope to see him yeah. this year. What's, what's yeah, we know where this is going to play out. What's the difference? What is he going to join us for the playoff run yeah. in September? Who cares? Shut <laughs> everybody down. Right. I, at that point, yeah. So here's the issue I have. So the bet that Bloom made was that this six for 140 would be a good contract for a guy that we all knew had elbow history. But last year when Bogarts, who let's, and Bill, you and I talked about this a bit after like Bogarts signed with San Diego. Bogarts called Story to tell him it was cool to come here, okay? Bogarts, when he asked for a contract extension from the organization, they offer him one extra year at $30 million. So essentially four for 90 would have paid him less money on an annual average basis than Trevor Story. Now, it was also reported that, he would have accepted by the Boston Globe. He would have accepted. What the hell? I got like I a like, fly right He's getting attacked by a fly. This is like the omen. We're talking. It's like a horror movie. <laughs> yeah, I don't know We're what that was going on. Red Sox. I got like a, I got like a fly getting attacked by a mosquito. Yeah. I know. Eventually, it'll just land on your head like Mike Pence. Hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> not interesting to people listening with no video. But uh, Brian yeah. is under assault by a fly. Yeah, I don't know what the hell's going on here. But anyway, back to my original point. So he would have accepted somewhere in the five to one fifty one. So you're betting on Bogarts, who has been a productive player, who, in the words of Alex Cora, posts every day, right? The guy's out there every single day. He plays through injuries. And he's an awesome guy. Yeah. So you bet that this story contract was more likely to hit than the Xander Bogarts contract. Who else in Major League Baseball would have made that bet? Well, wait a second. What do we think Bogarts would have accepted a year ago? Because I've heard very Five for 151. I, I would have done that in five seconds. Yeah, so, right? something it's, similar to It's expensive, to like, you're paying a tax, but yeah, at some point you got to pay for somebody. And the the real point of this, which Hench and I, when they traded Mookie, I think that was the most apoplectic either of us were for the entire time we've known each other, dating back to November 2002 when we started getting to know each other. Um, the guys they got back were the least cents on the dollar of any trade any Boston team has ever made since I've been alive. We, Verdugo... Uh, Wong and uh, and who is the other guy? Verdugo, I can't even Jeter Downs. He's been DFA and, and Jeter Downs to get DFA. That's what seven cents on the dollar. I'm I like generous. The dollar? What well, is that? Jeter Downs was hitting one seventy in Worcester, and it was like, yeah, maybe when he gets the better lighting of the big leagues, he'll be able to see <laughs> the ball. Yeah, that's how that usually works. You're yeah. dominated by minor league pitching. Uh, the worst. Yeah, that was terrible. Um. I will say this. So obviously everyone knows losing Mookie is bad. It almost doesn't matter what there's no, there's no haul you could get in return. Like for a once, not even once a generation, once a franchise history player and human being, but the deal as we get into the weeds of like what Simmons and I, you know, kind of like what Matt Patricia's our offensive coordinator. Like when you have that moment of like, that's terrible. (laughs) That's terrible. Yeah. And then it is terrible. So Simmons and I, $145 million extension to Chris Sale. We were both apoplectic immediately. Like we were like, that is a terrible contract. It was and like then, the Vin Baker trade where it was and, like, just immediately you knew this is not going to work out. And this is going to be a horrible franchise authoring move. Horrible. And then we, we have a very, you know, smart buddy who disagreed with us. It's all in the email thread. Every everything Simmons and I said, I mean, it's actually been worse than we thought it was going to be terrible. And it's been worse Well, because we thought maybe Jeter Downs would at least be a major league player. I don't know if that was too much to ask. It was like a top 50 prospect. Somehow they but remember, they made the other trade that got with what was it? Gratterall and and was different. Yeah. And Downs was like the plan B trade that the Dodgers were like, well, how about this guy? And, and the Red Sox were like, cool. OK, that sounds great. But yeah, even the, G- the other trade would have been better. Yeah, Gratterall, I mean, he's been a pretty good reliever and the Red Sox, their bullpen in the Bloom era, which is kind of shocking because like he was supposed to be like this bullpen guy. Remember, Tampa Bay like invented the bullpen game 
And the bullpen has been one of the worst in baseball since Bloom has taken over. I mean, last year he signed Diekman, who was second to last in walk rate in Major League Baseball. Horrible. But getting back to the sale thing real quickly here. So the interesting component oh, to that. Yeah, the sale, not even yeah. in the top two. We're spoons. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you mentioned the sale thing. Now, that goes on Dombrowski's record, right? But here's the issue with that is ownership legitimately came out and said we didn't want to botch it like the Chris Sale thing. Now, or the John Lester thing. They didn't want the John Lester situation to happen again. Here's the problem. Chris Sale in the 2018 playoffs was like barely available. Everyone goes nuts about like the strikeout of Manny Machado. And look, it's Red Sox porn. Everybody likes to see Machado like almost fall over. It was but great. the reality of that is he was supposed to start that game. He was supposed to be the starting pitcher in that game, not a relief pitcher. So that season, he broke down at the end. He had to get shut down because of an injury. The prior season, he was bad in the postseason. He still had another year in his contract. And they went ahead and they signed him to that deal when you could have just waited. It made right. no sense whatsoever. And the problem for me is this. Dave Dombrowski won three consecutive division titles. Dave Dombrowski won a World Series, which is pretty important to the organization. When things are going south in 19, they move on from him. Heim Bloom's now entering year four. Like, what the fuck has this guy done? He's done jack shit. I mean, he really got lucky. If you think about the year they made the ALCS, what was happening to the bullpen? Was it really about him? No, it was Cora was taken. Pavetta closed out the regular season. Remember, he right. struck out Juan Soto on that crazy curveball. So I don't give him much credit for that. And the things he got right, like Kyle Schwarber, for example, when it comes to bringing that guy back, what does he offer him? Like 40 million less than he got from Dave Dombrowski in the Phillies. Well, and you left out, we paid the luxury tax somehow last year with a below 500 team. The bar, There were so many moments over the last four years where Hench and I are in this Red Sox text thread where we just kind of obsessively follow everything. What, what do we have? Like 12 different moments where we're just like, what? Like when they signed Barnes to the extension and we were like, wait, what? Why are we doing that? Like, we, like it, what? Are, what's the plan? There, ne there's no like, there's no governing philosophy of the organization. No. Bloom reminds me actually. My grandmother, God rest her soul, uh, once gave my brother a uh, ten dollars. It was a, it was in an envelope, ten dollars, ten dollar bill to buy new ski boots. And even in the eighties, ski boots were like fifty nine ninety nine. Like it was like here's ten dollars yeah. to buy new ski boots. It's like. Do you know how much Xander Bogarts costs? Like, <laughs> do you understand how the world works? Like, what are you doing yeah. running this organization into the ground? Um, to the well, what, what about the the Renfro? What was that one when we somehow uh, took on more money to get like the 38th and 40th prospects of the Brewers? Uh, and well, that's Jackie a good one Bradley's too. dead body. And yeah, so that they, one, like, it was like a, like 10 of those. Yeah. And by the way, in terms of that luxury tax thing, like people, say, oh, it's not my money. Well, the problem is this. You cost yourself draft picks with that, right? Because right. now because Nate and Bogarts leave, you go from picking 70th and 71st to 133rd and 134th. Like that's yeah, how much it costs to finish last place in the division. Like what was the point of keeping We're J.D. Martinez around? 134th in the American yeah. League East. It made no sense. So the Renfro thing, they trade J to bring in Jackie Bradley Jr. So at first glance, when they make this move, they take on more money. And I'm thinking to myself, OK, this actually is a big market move because they're paying for prospects, right? David Hamilton and Alex Benellis. Now, JBJ mm. eventually would be DFA'd. Here's the problem. Benellis is ranked 23rd. Hamilton's ranked 20th. Benellis hit 166 in Portland last year. Nice. Hamilton a little bit better. But here's the issue is if you're going to do this, right, if you're going to say, hey, we don't believe in rent for a long term, we're not going to give him an extension. Well, here's the problem. The guy hit 30 home runs in 2021. You never replace that, right? So I always thought like when they made that move is there's another corresponding move on the way, right? Like they're going to sign a no. professional right fielder. He didn't no. do it. He just no. had Jackie Bradley Jr. play right field. And to me, like, how do you justify that? Not only to like, I know he doesn't care about the fan base, right? I mean, he's made that abundantly clear. But how do you explain that to the manager? How do you explain that to the players? This guy was really important in terms of you making a run to the ALCS. I know he didn't have a bad po or a good postseason, but he hit 30 bombs and he was your everyday right fielder. How can you justify that to the guys in the clubhouse? Yeah, we're just going to roll well, with wait, Jackie. It, it and gets then worse. We're going to put Arroyo out there in right field. Who doesn't play outfield? Well, you forget about how they completely threw away the first base position, which oh, I've never God. seen in all the years I followed the team where they're like, sometimes you'll have like a guy who's a basher at first base who can't field, or you have an awesome fielder at first base who can't hit. 
And they were like, we're actually not going to have either. We're going to have somebody who can't hit or field at first. We have a 170 hitter who can't play it's defense. The easiest thing to find. It's just like a mediocre first baseman. Like, right. A guy who can make contact and hit 22 home runs. Like, well, and then on the Renfro thing, I was pro getting rid of Renfro because I just felt like when you get to the playoffs, these right-handed hitters who there's just certain, and Hench and I, we argued about this all the time, where it's like, if you threw over 95 and you're right-handed to Renfro, it just felt like he was striking out. And I was like, once you get to the playoffs, every team has five guys who can throw like 98. And it's like, okay, I get it. But then they replaced him with Trevor Story, who's even more helpless against right-handers who throw (laughs) 98 miles an hour. It's like, great. So we went from Renfro to this guy instead. Um, It just... I, I think the big thing for me is just there's no rhyme or reason to the moves when you put them next to each other, which is something you've been talking about for a couple of years where this move and then you put it next to this move and it's like, well, those two things don't, don't make sense together. The story Bogarts thing obviously is the big one, but there were so many others. And, you know, the fact that they were expensive and awful last year and now it's like now we'll reset the luxury tax this year, but we'll be even worse they're looking at a year this year that we haven't seen probably since like Clemens's rookie year, like after Yaz left where, um, you know, there would be like 8,000 people at a Red Sox game. And I think that's, what's going to happen again. I think people are going to bail on this team in a way that we have not seen in four decades. It's in a weird way. You're like, you're already thinking of all the stuff you're going to get done when you're not watching the Red Sox this year. It's oh like, yeah. We gained like 600 like the, hours. <laughs> the clouds have parted and you're like, I'm going to get that lawn looking great. Like I'm like all the projects I'm going to do. Uh, I'm going to watch more PGA. Just to put the sale thing to bed. I know it, you know, we're talking about bloom and it doesn't go on, on his report card, but it's going to, you know, it hovers over us like a toxic airborne event. Um, Sale, like sale will probably not be available whenever you need him. Right. Obviously statistically, he's not going to be available. That's not the worst case scenario. The worst case scenario is he is available in the playoffs where he's two and six with a 6.35 ERA career, probably the worst postseason pitcher of all time. So it's like you pay him $145 million and pray he's hurt for the playoffs. That's your best case scenario. Like, but like you look at the body, you look at the motion. It's a very similar to story in terms of like your casual baseball fan going like, that guy's going to break down, right? Yeah. That violent six, six, 130 pound, like there's no way that guy can last. So it, 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 the Dombrowski's uh, bloom sale story stories that it is a continuation of this demise, you know, you know, from the Mo- Mookie moment. It's just it's we so were rough. horrified by the extension and we were in a big argument with a couple of our friends about it because they were like, the guy, there's no great starters. And Hench and I were just in the camp of like, there's just no way that guy's throwing a thousand innings over the next five years you just don't, I don't see it yeah um, and I, I keep coming back to the fact that you didn't need to do it you could have waited and see if he was right. healthy in 19 and guess what happened to him in 19 he got hurt Sh- shocker right. to everybody watching the Red Sox and watching Chris Sale and his skinny frame nobody was shocked that he got hurt everybody could have predicted that one the one that aggravates me though uh, Bill you mentioned the first base thing I mean there's no way that Bloom actually thinks that's a real position he doesn't I mean it's like remember in Moneyball when the guy playing Ron Washington they're talking to Scott Hatterberg and he's like, hey, tell him, tell him, uh, Wash, it's real easy to play, right? He's like, it's incredibly difficult. And think yeah. about what the Red Sox have done at first base, right? So they come into the season, they believe Dahlback is going to be their guy, right? That's one of the bets they made. No, Hench and I kind of believed it too. We, we, we kind of, we, we got sucked in by the two month stretch at the end of, tw- of 21. I so, so if, uh, yeah, but if you look at it, so from like a power perspective, they expected that. Dahlback and Story would essentially replace what Renfro and Schwarber brought. That was their bet, right? Now, Dahlback defensively but the, was bet. But the thing is, there was no way they were going to replace the at-bat Schwarber had, which were some right. of the most fun at-bats we've had in the last 10 years. They just yeah. there's, That guy was a seven-pitch at-bat guy. They never had that guy, and he completely, and Cora's mentioned it, that he changed the lineup that year, right? Yeah. Because they had all these free swingers when you're talking about Raffi and you're talking about Bogarts, and you don't want those guys to change their approach, but Schwarber's that Dahlbeck, guy where he Dahlbeck spit on everything. to strike out three times on seven pitches. It's never yeah. been done in competition. <laughs> we don't know how it happened. <laughs> and he was dead last in defensive run saves from first baseman. So then yeah. they're in Tough. such a panic that... The alternate to him is Travis Shaw to begin the season. Remember, Travis Shaw was actually on the team. 
didn't get a hit. It looked like we got he was bummed swinging. out. We thought he was in Japan. We we were trying to actually pull his his uh, passport to come back, but somehow he got back. <laughs> yeah, he got back. Uh, he didn't get a hit, so they got rid of him. No. And then their alternative to that, his idea was, hey, uh, f- can Franchi play first? A guy that's never played first base. They try him at first base. He has no idea what he's doing. I mean, this is Duran-esque where Duran's in the outfield, doesn't know what he's doing. Franchi at least has an excuse. He never played the position. He's going all the way over to second base to try to field ground balls. I mean, I've never seen anything like it before in my life. So you can't, and I, I understand like Cassis was hurt. Maybe they were waiting on Cassis, but yeah, they, okay. they, at least they had the good sense not to rush Cassis and ruin his confidence. Yeah, especially with the, the ankle situation going on as well. But I just don't know how the ownership group, and maybe it's somewhat like they're kind of removed. They got other stuff going on, right? They haven't talked to the media in like three years, right? So I just wonder, like, do they realize how bad this guy is at his job? Or is it they're so He's committed terrible. to- he, I mean, he's, I can't remember like in my lifetime, and I know Bill, you tweeted about it yesterday. I went like, through I, it, Hench, I went through it. I tried to figure out if he's the worst GM we've ever had. And ML Carr, Chris Wallace, and Bucko Kilroy <laughs> were the only three. Bucko Kilroy was the Pats GM in the early 80s that within a couple years, we were just an absolute shit show. Um, Real quick, just because because Brian referenced it, but it's like, if... If you think about the teams they care about, right? So what would the equivalent be of Liverpool starting guys in midfield like Franchi Cordero? That had one leg? That would be like starting Clint Dempsey now (laughs) in midfield for Liverpool. You couldn't do yeah. it for you couldn't do it for 45 minutes. Like there Great. would be a riot at Anfield. Like if you were like, we're gonna try to get away with this guy who's never played midfield, who's never played soccer. We think he's like Franchi will just put him at first base. Like there's so and so Bloom doesn't seem to know what he's doing, and the ownership group doesn't seem to care that he doesn't know what he's well, doing. What about they when they signed Paxson, right? And we wanted them to sign Carlos Rodon because just like, all right, if you're going to bet on like a, an injury upside guy, at least bet on the younger guy who's had one season. Paxton was every year. You go look, go look at his baseball reference and it would just, it was like, it was like, did he fight in World War II? No, that was Ted Williams. Um, <laughs> but he would just, I don't think he got to 150 innings more than once. You have Chris Sale already. Like, do we need another guy who can't throw 150 innings? Like, what did you think was going to happen? You need to get to... Nine times 162. So how many innings is that? You need to get to 1440 innings plus extra innings. And you have two guys that you know can't throw 100 innings. Well, what are we and, doing? Think about, and think about the other guys that they brought in. Like Waka had a pretty good season, but the problem was he didn't give you a lot of innings, right? Because that's right. another guy with freak, with injury history. And then you look at Rich Hill, who was 40 years old. I mean, those are the guys in shocker. <laughs> Rich Hill Meatballs. dealt with an injury as well. But yeah, the Paxton thing, essentially, you paid him last year, what, $10 million to rehab. Now, they, he did pick up the option, so he's going to be back. We'll see what you oh, can I, get. I, but I couldn't believe he picked up the option. I don't, Me neither. I thought, like, yeah, it's, it's like he doesn't as... play baseball. He's, they're offering him $10 million bucks. I can't believe he wanted to grab it, <laughs> as opposed to all his other great offers. You know, going back to like 20 years ago, when we got Theo, Theo comes in. And at that point, Gammons is the most powerful voice in baseball. And anything Gammons says, we're just going to believe, right? Gammons could, you, you could have had like somebody who was missing their right arm. And, and Gammons was like, nope, this guy can still throw with his right. I would have believed it. I would have believed anything he said. <laughs> and he was like, this Theo, he's special. He can, he, he's, he's going to change how this organization goes, right? And then Theo comes in and he does all these really smart, like little trades He's, he takes chances on guys like Ortiz and and just over and over, just these little like he's he's Orlando like kind of like Cabrera. Orlando yeah, Cabrera. Just like. Ba- like he smells out the Nomar thing. He's just like basically our version of Billy Bean and just over and over again hit on guys. And the thing with Bloom is like what what guys does he hit on? Right. We've been here four years. What are like his wins? What are his W's of guys where he's like, well, what about this guy? What about that guy? Does he have more than three? What are they? No, it's like, so if you're going to look through his good list, which it's very tough to go through this, it's Garrett Whitlock, who we got in the rule five. Okay. I mean, there's that one. was a good pickup. That was a good and one. Then, yeah, that was a good pickup. The Schwarber trade was good, but the problem yep. is he let him go after the season, right? Still and a then, good trade. 
Yeah, and then you would have to look like into the minor league system, right? Or I guess John Schreiber would be another one. John Schreiber had a really good season. Okay. He was probably their There's best three. bullpen arm, right? This is a so, four-year span. But yeah, well, that's great. the problem. Like He's been okay with some of these like under-the-radar guys, but the problem is like the big stuff he gets wrong, right? And that's where like it's almost like the opposite of Danny Ainge, right? Where Danny Ainge got criticism, but the big stuff he always got right. I mean, he did draft Tatum. He did draft Jalen Brown. He made that trade to send Pearson and Garnett away. So he got the big stuff right. And he's so high like, on Isaiah Thomas, just cutthroat. Exactly. I mean, and Jesus. Look, <laughs> and I know like we can have a whole different conversation about, hey, was Brad the right guy? Would Danny have done what Brad did? That's a whole different thing. Danny got the big stuff right for the most part. Now you can criticize some of the draft picks he missed like later on in the first round, but everybody misses on those. Heimbloom's the opposite. He gets some of the small stuff right, some of the under the radar stuff, but all the big stuff, Mookie, Bogarts, story all that stuff he gets wrong so that's like I, the I would worst argue he case got scenario the medium stuff too that true ride, he got totally the medium wrong. stuff yeah like, like renfro right and the bullpen last year and just i i don't know i all the red sox fans in my life right now it's beyond bummed out it's beyond just kind of like out. it's like like i'm not even sure i'm gonna watch them this year because i like why do i want that in my life I'd rather just watch the watch other sports and not watch a shit team. You're just going to watch to make sure all the overs you bet in their games cash. Because imagine mm. trying to get 27 outs with these with this team and this uh, this alleged rotation. Hey guys, I know we're on a little bit of a shot clock, so so I yeah. Is it time to go to the Pats? Pivot to our to our other team in disarray. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And I have to say, um, I don't know, during the glory days, the 20, unprecedented 20-year 20 run, six Super Bowl titles, four World Series championships, if somebody had told you, uh, yeah, they're going to be booing John Henry at Fenway Park, <laughs> you'd be like, okay, that doesn't sound right. Uh, and, yeah, you really have to fuck up to have that and, happen. Uh, and Jonathan Kraft's stepmom is going to be 10 years younger than he is. <laughs> what? <laughs> What are you talking about? Yeah, the, no, no, no. Matt Patricia is going to be an offensive coordinator and Jonathan Kraft's stepmom is 10 years younger than he is. Like, what? It's gotten not just bad, but weird. It's super weird. And, you know, so uh, here we are in, in the aftermath of, of the John U. Smith Aguilar signings. And it, it's very similar. I mean, you know, when, when you guys were texting me about, like, talking about these two situations, they're so similar. In terms of well, bummed outedness and low ceiling, yeah. The difference, though, the the coaching thing is, I still feel like whatever they you're going to hit some free agents in the NFL and you're going to miss on other ones, right? Even during the Belichick era, there was a bunch of ones that they missed on, and that's just how it goes. Sometimes guys get paid, get injured, whatever. It, it was how unprepared and sloppy we were, and how. From a strategic point, it seemed like we were outwitted over and over again, or we we're always trying to come back from these self-inflicted wounds. And they, like to have week 18 winnable, by the way, basically we didn't make the playoffs because we gave up two kick returns in week 18 and because Jacoby Myers threw a lateral backwards after we gave up this long drive to Derek Carr, who fucking sucks, and got benched probably permanently two weeks later. Those are the two reasons. You, you can... You could boil it down to 20, but really, if you're going to say two, it's that it's the fact that we lost that Raiders game, that we were up seven with the ball with four minutes left, and then we gave up two kick returns to a Buffalo team that defensively, we were doing whatever we wanted against them with our offense. It was the best offenses looked all year. The Pats should have been a 10-win team, I and mean, they won don't, eight. Don't forget running in, running into the punter in Minnesota, and that game was... Oh, yeah. Right, that was another that one. For sure, the special teams were so bad. So and, bad. Know, and this is like, you know, Matthew Slater, like we're just used to sending special teamers to the Pro Bowl. Like this is where we win those games. And we and so 
and I don't know, you guys know better than I do what the real story with Josh Bailey is, whatever. The point is the guy can reach the end zone with a kickoff and you decide he's either hurt or suspended or whatever, but you make no move, no corresponding move, kind of to the Hunter Renfro of it, no corresponding move. Hench was going nuts about this. He was like, Nick Falk can't kick it to the five-yard line. We're just going to throw away field position in in regular season games? Yeah, and, and well, so you're throwing away field position. And then, you know, obviously on the first kick return, you're like, this guy's like that. It takes Nick Folk all his power to kick a line drive to the five. Like right. there's no, the return <laughs> man gets it and goes, I'm not going to be touched till the 28. Like this is yeah. awesome. And so it that game was so winnable and and so sad that it was it was these two kick returns then the squib out of bounds oh. it was just like this is embarrassing this is not an NFL team and again this is supposed to be where we separate in the other direction yeah. from poorly this was our teams. biggest advantage was how smart we were and how we always got the little things and it was the complete opposite this year it was bad yeah, well, that's a great point on the squib kick. That may have been the most embarrassing thing about the whole game is, right, like you gave up the two returns, so you had to do that and you couldn't even execute the squib kick. And the special teams is a problem all year. Like, I mean, you look at Football Outsiders metric, DVOA has them 27th, PFF has them 25th. Kickoffs, they were 21st. They were 30th in touchdown or a touchback percentage, punting 32nd in net, and they were 28th and the inside was the 20%. Awful. Yeah, I mean, he was he, horrible. It was one of the worst punting seasons we've ever had. If it yeah. wasn't for Marcus Jones, it would have been an F- minus across the board for the special yeah. teams. And Polardi was almost just as bad as Bailey was. And this yeah. comes back to me in terms of the coaching stuff. Like, how did Cam Accord still have his job after last year? Like, I don't know about right. you guys, but I thought that's what Joe Judge was going to be here to do. Don't go near the quarterback. Don't talk to Mac Jones. Like, instead, he's the quarterback's coach. Cam Accord, the special teams was a real issue for this team last year. And we're, you're a team like the Patriots where they're not great. I mean, they're they're if you look at their talent, it's probably defense is pretty good. Offense is lower third of the NFL, especially the skilled position players. And actually, I mean, you can just say in general, the quarterback is below average right now. And the offensive line was putrid, right? So if that's the case, your special teams cannot be losing you games, right? That you can't like if the Niners have a bad special teams unit, they may be able to overcome it, right? The Bills, they may be able to overcome it. But for the Patriots to be this bad, and it's not just the special teams, it's kind of the theme that I look at is like the situational stuff that the Patriots were always good at for so many years. End they the, were bad end at the all first of it. half. Like, yeah, so, like all that the stuff. double the double up turned into, hey, let's make sure we kneel and then three and out when we get the ball back in the second half. Like that's what the double up turned into. And like even going back to you guys mentioned the Minnesota game running into wait, the Wait, wait, hold on on the special teams for a second. Yeah. It's harder in 2022 to have special teams ruin your season because they changed a lot of the rules, right? right. Kickoff returns. I think there was only five kickoff touchdowns all year and we gave up two of them in the same yeah. game. Like yeah. They've changed all these rules so that special teams have become less and less important, which I always felt like was was kind of a bummer for Belichick because that was something that we would always like steal games or or you know steal, swing a quarter or whatever. But in, instead, it went the opposite way. Anyway, what were you going to say about Minnesota? Oh, I was just going to say the other part of that Minnesota game that was so infuriating to me is remember when like Hunter Henry at the end of the half didn't go out of bounds like to save time, right? Like. That's situational stuff that would never happen with the Patriots before, right? And Mac Jones stayed in bounds at the end of the half as well. It's just like those type of decisions that the team would make. That stuff is usually stuff that is coached into the Patriots. And the past well, my couple fear, of seasons. My fear is Belichick, obviously, 70-year-old guy now. I don't know if he's the easiest guy to work with week to week, like from all accounts, right? So you end up with the situation where as he gets older and there's certain types of people that succeed with him and know how to work with them. And then there's other people who they leave and we never see them again. And the, the fear I have is like, those people don't want to come back because they know what it's like to work with him. He's demanding, he's difficult. You're glad you did it, but then you move on. It's almost like going to college or the military or something. And what you're left with are like his family members and people who just like, like really dramatically failed somewhere else. Like Patricia and judge. I think if you talk to a giants fan, you're like, who's the worst coach you ever had? They would probably say Joe judge. If you talk yeah. to a lions fan and you ask them, who's the worst coach they ever had, they would 100% definitely say Matt Patricia. Right. Yeah. I mean, and they those fired are the two Caldwell, guys we brought back nine and seven one year. Right. 
So you just look around and you think like where we were in the, you know, the, the early mid two thousands with like multiple guys who became head coaches or even in 2013 to 15 range with Flores McDaniels and all these dudes. The only guy who would even get poached from this staff is, is Mayo. And that's another thing is they won't pay defensive coordinator or offensive coordinator. They won't name anyone the title because they try to save money. Why are we so desperate to save money? This team's a cash cow. They yeah. make they make tens, hundreds of millions of dollars from this team. Why why can't we give somebody a title? Well, so. that was an interesting thing that I thought came down from Bill's like exit press conference, if you oh, will. Oh, yeah, I noticed that. Where he said that if you take, because he was asked essentially about, hey, did you get the bang for your buck that you wanted when you spent all that money two years ago. And he said, well, it's it's not a snapshot. It's a three-year thing. And if you take out the average cash over three years, we're 27th in the NFL. So yeah, had she hear that? He, he threw that little dart out <laughs> toward the crafts. I was, I was like, whoa! <laughs> so that was pretty crazy. And then Kraft has the email to the season ticket holders where essentially they said, we are looking at the whole process, which basically tells you that they're looking at the whole staff in terms of the coaching staff. So Bill is basically out here. If you read between the lines, criticizing Kraft for his spending when it comes to the roster. And then Kraft is out here saying essentially that he's criticizing the coaching staff and there's going to be changes where it comes to the whole football operation is the way they kind of mentioned well, it. Have so you it heard does- some of the stuff with how much Belichick makes? I heard Curran that thing had about this. He said it. Curran said north of twenty five on some show, and then he went on Twitter because I follow him on Twitter, and he was like, "I actually I misspoke. It's not north of twenty five, but it's definitely in the twenty range." So part of me wonders, like, do they spend so much on Belichick that now they can't spend? Maybe Kraft is like, you have thirty million total. I don't know, but it, it was like I was so fat. Hench, have you ever heard anything about the salaries? Uh, I love this idea. I hadn't thought of it the way you just phrased it. That that like. Guys like Ray Hanley and McAdoo and Wayne Fonts and Jim Schwartz are like, thank God for Joe Judge and Matt Patricia, because now they're considered the worst coaches in franchise history for the Giants and the Lions. And then the Patriots are like, when can we get those guys back? Right. When can we get the worst coaches in those franchises history back? Uh, real sad note, just thinking about the Vikings loss was terrible. The Raiders loss was unconscionable. Also, the guy's obviously out of bounds on the tying touchdown. He's like, yeah. there's, a, there's a still picture of him out of bounds. Um, I was in Vegas uh, up until yesterday morning and walking through the airport. The mannequin outside the Raiders merch store is still wearing the Derek Carr jersey. That's still there featured. And, and so then the question is, would we take Derek Carr? No. Over and my answer is no. Simmons no, that. eye to eye on a lot of stuff. I um, actually think Mac deserves another year because we we basically gave him the gardener and the dog walker as his offensive coordinator and QB coach. Yeah, and he, I would and like I think, to see what would happen. Don't we all agree? Like at least there's some things he can do okay. Like he, he definitely like in the Buffalo game, he was throwing downfield more. Um I don't know. Like how many times did he throw it to Aguilar where either Aguilar like stepped out of bounds or dropped it or bounced off somebody's helmet or no, um, or hit him in the chest. And he, and he like volleyball set it to the defender. Like right. he hit him yeah. in the, like, it's like perfect pass. Oh, that's an interception. I will say this. Uh, Mac Jones, worst clock in his head I've ever seen. Like, yeah, it's bad. No, I, the pocket presence, you know, so Bad clock in his head, bad cement in his legs, bad combination, you know? So I agree. I don't want to lay it all on him, but I think we know the ceiling's pretty low now. And I'd ask you guys this, you know, we talk, I mean, the O-line putrid agreed, but there was a point mid-season where I was like, I think Parker Jacoby Born, which I do not understand yep. what was going on in practice, that they were like Nelson Aguilar is better than than Kendall Bourne. I don't understand it. And then Thornton, and then if you make if you put Aguilar at the back of that those five guys, I'm like, I think this group is you, above average. And Thornton's speed, we we saw him just blaze a couple times. So that again, I just sort of other teams just do that twice a game where they're just like, here's our fastest guy, just run a straight line, and we'll chuck it downfield. We were running bubble screens and delayed. Oh, my God. oh I'm, I'm throwing. To, oh, no, I'm throwing it to the left. And it's like, oh, that guy got tackled again. Um, no other team in the league played offense like this. That was one of the weirdest things about it. Everyone else just played offense where they just you all the rules benefit passing. 
So why are right. you doing these yeah. weird fucking screens with a shitty offensive line? And the best playing football, much to our chagrin, is the horribly underthrown long pass where the receiver stops and gets the P.I. and nobody underthrows it like Mac Jones. Right, right, right. Yeah, like right. I, I look they, at Mac. <laughs> I don't think he's a per, like he's a, a flawed quarterback. And I b- believe like the ceiling's really low on Mac Jones. But with that being said, I'm with you, Bill. Like it almost feels like he deserves a mulligan for the season with everything that transpired. I mean, first of all, he didn't have a number one weapon. Right. And that's something where I'm really wondering if Belichick's going to address that in the offseason. Right. Because Hopkins? I know that. I would love that. I mean, why not? I mean, we did you guys see the clip on Twitter where he's talking to uh, Hopkins? He I loves think Hopkins. Hopkins has always been like one of his five favorite guys. And that place no is a mess. Who knows yeah. when Kyler Murray is going to be back? Who knows who the head coach is going to be? So if you could pull off a trade for DeAndre Hopkins, I would do it in a second because it sort of puts everybody else in place, right? Where they don't have to masquerade as the number one option. I hate the fact that every week you don't know who the number one guy is going to be. I get Myers led the team and all that, but nobody would think that he's a number one guy. Nobody's we never had guys like wide open. There was never like right. wide open guys. Like when you watch other teams and it's like, wow, Justin Jefferson's open again. Like we, it was very hard for us to find that guy. So that would be the first thing. And look at all these elite teams in the NFL. All of them have these guys. So I don't know how Bill hasn't realized like that trend is starting to take over the league where it's now become because of the offense, it's become a weapons league. And he hasn't taken advantage of that. And the secondary thing would just be the fact that He didn't have the proper coaching, as we've alluded to. So whether it's Bill O'Brien, it feels like that's the perfect fit. I don't know where you guys stand on the Kingsbury thing. I'm not really in on that. I don't like the way that that one's not happening. There's a third piece, though, because and this is Hench and I are usually aligned on Boston stuff. This is where I think Hench has been a little overboard because Hench Hench thinks our defense is better than I did. Um, And he's like, oh, my God, we're wasting this great defense. But it's like you look back at the quarterbacks that we beat. Yeah. It was the eight wins. The best quarterback we beat was Jared Goff. We beat Zach Wilson twice. Like you go through, it's like it's like a who's who of guys that suck. Like, when you think like with the defense, like tweet. I don't know well, who's who was, but that we've we've beaten four playoff teams in three years. Like oh we yeah, I sent you that. Yeah, and anybody. three of them were weather related. But the thing with the defense, oh, yeah, that was Callahan. Is, yeah. So the thing with the defense. All right, the defense was good, but Minnesota game we had a lead. The defense blew it. Raiders game, we're up seven. They have the ball with three minutes. Like, we just need to stop. We didn't get it. I think there's probably, and what was the game in September? It was the same thing, where it was like, we just need to stop. Oh, Baltimore, they couldn't stop Lamar the whole game. I I think when the defense really needed stops, if the quarterback was good, it had trouble getting the stops. Josh Allen, same thing. Like, that Buffalo game was super winnable. He threw over the top on us twice. And that's like the one thing Belichick never wants, and we gave it up twice. It well, is that's weird, a great though, point. when you're like to def- whatever to defend the defense. And I know it's like the the whole was greater than the sum of the parts, obviously. But it's like, don't run into the punter in Minnesota. If they blow the whistle while they're pushing Ramondre 15 yards backwards against the Bengals, you know. Right. And then obviously the Raiders game. Like, it's so easy to just immediately think of this team as an 11-win team. And yet we know how flawed they are. So somebody's doing something, right? I mean, and and you know, and obviously, uh, Judon and Uche uh, are are a handful, and and uh, and the and the key to that defense. But like, and and you know, I mean, obviously, Barmore makes a big difference. I think you know. So I I still think the defense is why we were leading in the second half with a chance to go to the playoffs. I agree. Yeah, the it de- was a good had- defense. I don't think it was great. Yeah, they had a lot of talent and. They had a lot of guys, like Uche had an outstanding season. Duggar had a really good season. The problem is they didn't, like the rest of the team, they didn't really have that signature win, right? And that kind of comes back to the whole idea of since Tom left. Bill in the regular season is 25 and 25. And what's the big win the Patriots have had since Tom has left? I mean, is it the game with the wind where Mac throws the ball three times? And that's the thing that just sticks out to me more so than anything else is think about that decision when Tom left. The idea was... We're going with Stidham and Hoyer. Then all of a sudden they pivot to Cam Newton because Cam's just around and maybe they don't yeah. think Stidham's the guy. Although Stidham, Stidham didn't look bad when he actually played. I, I know he wasn't great yeah. in the game last week, but two weeks ago he wasn't bad. But my overwhelming point on that is think about where they got Mac. They got Mac 15th overall in the draft. And that particular draft was one of the rare drafts where he had five quarterbacks that went in the top 15. So oh, no. what is... 
what if there weren't five quarterbacks available then? Like, who's the quarterback of the Patriots right now? And I don't even know how convinced Bill was on Mac, right? He just sat there at 15. Like, if you were really like the Bears, right, they came all the way up to jump the Patriots and they got Justin Fields like they thought that was their guy. Now, the Niners may be wrong, but they traded up to get Trey Lance. So I do wonder, like, what happens if Mac's just not sitting there at 15? And it's not like Mac's been this great quarterback, but it just feels like that whole process moving on from Tom and finding the next guy. I do wonder it comes back to the quote from the Ann O'Connor book, the unnamed assistant from the Belichick staff, which I believe is Joe Judge, we can win with any top 15 quarterback. I think they're finding out that's not true. And Mac's not a top 15 quarterback, so maybe <laughs> it's unfair to have that problem. conversation. Not, yeah. not top 15. Well, the, the, the flip side of this is what's happening with San Francisco right now. They've had three quarterbacks, right? They still went 12 and four. And it's like they found somebody who could manage the game. They like, What's happening with San Francisco is what used to happen with us, where we were so loaded all over the place, you kind of feel like, yeah, we could probably win 12 games with Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy's 6-0. and um, I think they need to, with that 14th pick they have, we just need like an awesome player. I don't even think like, oh, we need this, we need that. Like Ben Solak, who writes for The Ringer, he just did his all-pro team, his first and second team, so it's 44 players. We had one of the guys with Judon. This has been the case really for the Pats for the last five years since the since we had like Brady and Gronk and a couple other people. Um, we basically have had one or two elite players year after year, and that that's just not going to cut it. You look at these other teams, and they have like six, seven, eight awesome guys. Even the Ravens, they trade for Roquan Smith. They trade a second rounder, kind of trade we never make, and they just gave them a huge extension. And there are all these advanced stats of like. They got this guy and they completely shut down everybody's running game. The moment they got this guy, we never make trades like that either. So would you give up 14 for Hopkins? No. Real quick on Mac uh, and that draft. So, of course, you know, Simmons and I are texting each other and like flop sweating like he, you know, he might be there at 15. He might be there at 15. And, and we're like, don't you trade down. Don't you dare trade down. Right. I can't believe he's sitting there, you know. And everybody was saying of all the five of those guys, like no one, no one goes through their progressions faster. And it's like, that's the whole game. Like, okay, we're, we could, you know, the, the Niners were high on Mac Jones. And I was like, I had talked myself into like, this is going to fall into our lap. And then they, they were on the war room. Right. And it's like, why do these guys look bummed? I'm like, why are they so bummed out that this guy <laughs> fell to us? Like, they're like, I guess we have to take him or there'll be a riot. You know, like so, they they have the mo the worst body language about that pick, and uh, but I was still so psyched. I was like, I can't believe this guy fell to us. I'm so excited. And then and now, two years later, I'm like, you got to trade out of that spot, guys. Come on, man. <laughs> right, <How> trade down. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, let me give you a scenario. If you had to pick one of the two. Yeah. Max, the quarterback or Bill's gone like Max stays. Or what would you rather have? Bill stay as the coach and Max gone or Max stay as the quarterback and Bill's gone. Oof. I mean, we've been circling this for 20 minutes. Do we think Bill is going to be the coach next year? Because I really genuinely believe there's some Kraft Belichick stuff going on now. And I, I just think Kraft is old. I think he's a huge Pats fan. I think he loved being the big swinging dick in town. And he has now been replaced by the Celtics and the Bruins. They have no signature player. Everywhere he goes, people are like, what happened to the Pats this year? And he fucking hates it. And he's 81. He just remarried somebody who's younger than me and Hench. Um, <laughs> and I think he wants the Pats to be good again. And what he doesn't want to deal with is this guy that he's dealt with for 20 plus years who's abrasive and just he kind of does his own thing and doesn't want to hear from anybody and has his own style. And I love him. God bless him. I'm so glad he passed through my life, but he's probably at the point in his life where he's like, I don't want to deal with this guy anymore. Like I'd rather just, it's almost like where he was in the nineties with the Parcells craft thing. Where it's like, why am I taking shit from Parcells? I own the team. Um, I my It's going to come to a head one way or the other. Impatient because my wife was like, Hey, this team that I'm stealing from your son this team that I'm going to inherit in 18 months uh, is 
I was told they were good. Oh, <laughs> I was told they were good. Serious. This, this team that I'm going to be in lawsuit with your oldest son about. Yeah. In, in this two napkin. Years. This napkin is not a, a will and testament. You, you Harridan harlot. You were idiotic. You great times ahead for Patriot Nation. Yeah, it's kind of what we grew up with, though. See, you're younger than us, Brian. Like. The Pats of the first 30 years of my life were just the, the black sheep of the Boston scene and a shit show and just comical. Like it was just a comedy of errors. And even when we had something good happen, like in 85, when we made the run, two days later, there was a massive cocaine scandal after we lost 46 to 10 in the Super Bowl. Like Patriots fans could not have good things ever at any point. Year after year after year, that's how it went. And the same thing for the 96 Super Bowl. It's like, oh my God, I can't believe this. I love this team. And then it's like Parcells, Kraft, Will McDonough, drama. And it just got submarines. So this is kind of what we're used to. We're kind of back, Hench. I, I feel, I fear it's true, but I guess I would say of it, to answer the question on the table, like I love Bill Belichick so much and think he's the greatest coach in, in team sports history. And so uh, it's going to take more than going eight and nine for me to not want him to be the coach. Yeah. And I also feel like everything he did for us and it was just so amazing to have him coach our team. He's got to choose when he goes and I'm not, this was, this is the dinner check. We just, we had this 20 year feast and we were ordering everything and now the fucking check came and we just got to deal with it. Yeah. I would say the two greatest coaches in my lifetime would be Bill and John Farrell. Those two guys would be right up at the top. John Farrell was maybe Bobby Valentine, (laughs) throw Bobby Valentine in there, but I know you guys got to go. So two quick things before I let you go. The one thing Callahan brought up a good point the other day on the pod where he said, if Bill O'Brien comes in, that may be Kraft's way to move on from Bill where it's like, okay, this is a guy that was what 52 and 48. So he would eventually take over. And the other thing that just annoys me about Kraft is if he wants to throw all these darts at Bill, fine. Like that's his prerogative. He's the owner of the team, but he did make the decision to stick with Bill and not Tom. He could have easily said, Hey, Bill, you're giving Tom this contract or I'm moving on from you. So he made that decision. He's out there calling Stephen A. Smith during his break during first take. And I'm like, you know, this is ridiculous. Like Kraft wants none of the blame for all that. So he did make this bet. And I think it would look bad for Kraft if he moved on from Bill, because we saw Tom win a Super Bowl and we saw him. He could have been the MVP not this past season, the season before. So I think Kraft's going to own that as well. Well, what if Bill moved on from Kraft? Whoa. Ooh. That, well, that, now, if, that would have been an interesting thing if you went back in history and Brady stayed and Bill went somewhere else. That would have been interesting. Yeah, what if there was some awesome job that came open that he was like, eh, fuck it. And then I'm Bill tired, wins the Super Bowl with someone else, and now we're just, we're just crying. They both win Super Bowls <laughs> with someone else. Oh, my God. <laughs> that I would think, be hilarious. I, I've cooled off on my Brady to New England prediction. I, I think if I had to bet on a team, I would bet on um, the either him just staying in Tampa and they have a new coach or there's a Dolphins scenario if the Tua thing doesn't work out. What about the Raiders? I don't think the Raiders are in play. He's 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 got two, three of his kids in, in Florida. That's not changing. And then the other kid's in high school in New York and he's going to like live in Vegas. It's not, not inconceivable, but I just think... That seems that's like it a, dove, dovetails with a spectacular midlife crisis. I don't know. It makes sense to me. <laughs> that's true. When you move to Vegas, it is a midlife crisis. So maybe that maybe that would be the move. Hey, that's my fit, too. I, I think he works perfect in Vegas. Now, Bill, it's a good point about the family stuff. Maybe that's why he wouldn't make that. But you got all those weapons with Adams and Waller yeah. and Renfro and Jacobs and the offensive and line. Yeah, the head coach. So I mean, Wait, I, can if, we promise before we go, can we promise that Hench and I can come back for a positive Bruins Celtics podcast? I won't say a lot during the Bruins, but I'll have a lot do to it. say in the Celtics. Well, listen, I'll handle the Bruins and I'll leave you with this because we started by saying what a wagon the Bruins are. But like, you know, when you go down plus minus in a roster, you're like, okay, you might ha- your first line should obviously be all in the plus, And then hopefully your second line. The Bruins' top 18 skaters are all plus players. Like, I don't know if I've ever seen that. Like, yeah. everybody you put on the ice helps your team win. It's nuts. Uh, real, Just to tie off the Brady thing, I think we can probably conclude spending a lot of time with family, maybe not top of his list of priorities. Maybe. <laughs> oh, maybe. You may be right on there. Yeah. Hey, right. Solid point, Edge. All right. All right, guys. All right, thank that was you. fun. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Brian. Anytime, man. Enjoyed it. We'll have to get you guys back on for the bees and 
the C's because I mean these are both going to be deep playoff runs, so I can't wait for that. And I'm, just I'm gl- unleash I'll say- Robert Williams. That's my Celtics. Yes, note. more Let's Robert go. Williams. Guess what? Guess what happens every time he plays? We're like plus ten. Let's put him out there. I know he's the uh, Rob Gronkowski of the Celtics. I'll say that. Yes, great stuff, guys. Well, that was a lot of fun. Therapeutic talking about the, especially the Red Sox, but the Patriots as well with Bill and Hench. As always, if you want to get your voicemails in, that number six one seven three nine six seven one seven two six one seven three nine six seven one seven two. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Cerruti for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days. <laughs> <laughs>